It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. This is Bloomberg Law with June Grosso from Bloomberg Radio. During oral arguments this week, the Supreme Court justices seem to be struggling to figure out when police can enter a home without a warrant to check on the safety of the residents. Preventing suicide and checking on the elderly were two concerns repeatedly expressed by many of the justices. Here's Justice Brett Kavanaugh. Officers have to make a split-second decision, like, they don't have time to figure this out uh, by consulting mental health professionals. They've been told, they've been told under the hypothetical that the person is suicidal. It's not the drunk driving example. It's not. It's suicidal. And, and you want them to hesitate. And um, yeah. I really question that. The justices pose scenario after scenario to try to determine when police should be able to perform a community caretaking function without a warrant. Chief Justice John Roberts posed some interesting hypotheticals ranging from an elderly woman who hasn't been heard from to a Van Gogh painting about to be damaged. The neighbors uh, say she hasn't, uh, they haven't seen her all day. She didn't come over for dinner. Uh, She's never late. Uh, Is that enough? Uh, And they've got this fence around their backyard. It's it's locked, Uh, but there's a cat up in the tree. Uh, Can you can you come and help, you know, get the cat down? Uh, is that uh, uh, community caretaking? Okay, it's water dripping from above, uh, you know, in, in someone's home, and they happen to own a Van Gogh, and the water's going to ruin the painting. Is that compelling? Joining me is former federal prosecutor George Newhouse of Richards Carrington. George, explain why the police entered the home in this case. Yes, it's an interesting set of facts that the police wearing their hats as community caretakers as opposed to criminal law enforcement, frequently get called to residences because someone is concerned about the well-being of another person. In this case, Mr. Coniglia and his wife were having, shall we say, a marital dispute. He put his gun, unloaded gun, on the table in front of her, perhaps for emphasis, and told her, why don't you just shoot me and get me out of my misery? His wife understandably decided that she would just leave. She left the house. She called the police. And she asked for a wellness check. She told the police that she thought that her husband was suicidal and a danger to himself. And the police responded to that call for assistance. They met him outside the house. He appeared to be rational. He denied being suicidal. But they said, we need to take you in, sir, for a psychiatric check. And on the way out, he did say, I I agree to go, but I don't want you taking my guns. Uh, The police agreed that they wouldn't do that after he left. The police, of course, came back 
and entered the house without a warrant and took his guns, asserting that they had a right to do so under the so-called community caretaking exception to the Fourth Amendment. And that's the issue before the Supreme Court. What are the circumstances when police say that they're not doing a criminal investigation? There's no criminal activity here. They don't have a warrant. What is reasonable under the Fourth Amendment? And the courts appear to be split on this. So the community caretaking exception to the Fourth Amendment has been applied to vehicles, but not to the home. Exactly. So it goes back to 1973 to a Supreme Court case called Katie versus Dombrowski. A car was towed by the police. And as they towed it to a yard, they did what's called an inventory or administrative search. And that is a search not for criminal purposes, but to ensure that the police account for everything that's valuable in the car. They obviously found contraband. There was a lawsuit or criminal case. And the Supreme Court said police have the right when they are not conducting a criminal investigation and it's a car and they distinguished it from a house. The police have a right to search without a warrant or consent, permission, etc. And that doctrine still stands. And the issue in this case is, can the Katie doctrine of administrative searches for non-criminal purposes, can that be extended to the house, the home? The case law is very clear that nowhere in the law is the Fourth Amendment, our right to privacy, more cherished and more valuable than in the home. And this question is, does Katie apply to the house as well as to a car or other situations where we have perhaps a lesser degree of or interest of privacy? So what were the concerns of the justices? Absolutely a fascinating argument. The justices were concerned with both allowing this doctrine to spread because one of the justices, I believe Justice Alito, remarked that if they allowed this caretaking search exception to the home, that it would, it would be boundless and would in some way provide the police with unbridled discretion, and that's troubling. But other justices, and I think most of the justices, particularly Chief Justice Roberts and Justice Kavanaugh, were very concerned that the police be allowed, indeed encouraged, to enter the home uh, when they're doing that because they're concerned about the well-being of a person in the home. And really, they've talked a lot about the elderly. As we all know, and I'm sure the justices know, as we get older, we tend to fall down. And for the senior citizens who, who live by themselves, they could fall, hurt themselves, and require immediate assistance. And the the justices were concerned that if they didn't allow this kind of search to occur, entry, that care to needed persons like the elderly or the suicidal. Suicide is a similar situation. Time is of the essence, and it's imperative that the police be allowed to enter in order to render aid. And those are the questions that the the justices posed, particularly Justice Kavanaugh. I was going to say that Justice Kavanaugh even mentioned some some statistics on suicide, which is sort of unusual. It is unusual. He may or may not have pulled those statistics from the briefs, but yes, he was very concerned about the fact that suicides are common and that it's, again, unfortunately for the police, they tend to be jacks of all trade and and they are the, the agency that's typically called out to help either forestall or prevent um, a suicide, or if someone commits suicide to render or attempts to render aid. Um, and so, yes, he was making the point that this is a, a real problem in society, and we don't, the, the court, through its questioning, was indicating it did not want to place unreasonable restrictions on the police in rendering that assistance, provided that it's done in a non-criminal context. The justices posed all these different hypotheticals to try to find out what the limit on police should be here. So, for example, the chief justice said, 
Suppose you had a cat in a tree with a fence locked behind a gate. Or what about the threat of water damage to a Van Gogh? It's interesting that they used the question of the cat because that was the justices like to argue amongst themselves implicitly by posing these hypotheticals. And the cat in the hat or the cat in the tree in this case was really designed to say that, hey, we can't just let the police come in for any reason. A cat in a tree, you know, will eventually come down. The police don't need to enter the yard in order to render that service or even property damage. The justices were suggesting that that's not permissible. We don't want people coming into our house simply because they think there might be some property damage. Or do we? What if the house is not currently occupied and the neighbors think that a flood is occurring? Wouldn't you want the police to be able to come in and turn the water off? That's the question. Did it seem as if the appellant was taking too hard a line? He wanted a categorical rule that police can enter a home unless there's a warrant, consent, or exigent circumstances. Yes. Their position, I think, the justices were finding untenable because it was too categorical. They were basically saying the police can't come in unless they have an objectively reasonable set of facts the very firm belief and basis for believing that there's imminent harm in the house. And the justices were saying, well, you know, what if the the other hypothetical is Justice Roberts' hypothetical, the, the old neighbor lady who's invited over for dinner, and she's always punctual, she's always on time, and on this occasion, she doesn't show up, she's an hour late. And then she's two hour late, and the lights are on and no activity. And Justice Roberts was trying to get the lawyer to agree that that would be sufficiently objective facts to allow the police to go in, and he wasn't budging. Even the next day, Justice Roberts said, how about the next day when she still hasn't showed up? Do we have enough facts then? And they went back and forth. Did it seem as if justices across the ideological spectrum were basically concerned about the same things? No. Several of the more liberal justices were, I think, concerned about the police having, if you will, too wide of discretion when it comes to coming into someone's house under this community caretaking exception. Whereas it seemed that the conservative justices, at least Justice Roberts and Kavanaugh, wanted to be sure that the police did have authority from the court to enter even a house pursuant to this community caretaking exception. So that seemed to be the normal tension. One interesting, however, irony is sometimes fact patterns result in unusual bedfellows. So we have the American Civil Liberties Union and the American Conservative Union, two groups which rarely, if ever, agree on constitutional issues. But they agreed on this case. They filed their amicus brief opposing this policy, arguing that it posed a dangerous, slippery slope, which could, quote, give police free reign to enter the home without probable cause or a warrant. So you had an interesting set of facts that created some interesting arguments. Some of the justices, particularly Justice Gorsuch, seem to suggest that some existing emergency doctrines could apply here instead of the caretaking exception. Well, the caretaking exception is one of the 10 or 12 established exceptions to the Fourth Amendment warrant requirement. I think the position of Gorsuch was there is another exception, which is a little bit more amorphous, known as the public safety exception. And that is applied to both Fourth and Fifth Amendment situations where there is a sufficiently compelling need on the police officers to do something to protect the public. In a famous case out of New York, police officers were concerned that a suspect had stashed a handgun in the melon section of the market, and they interrogated the subject without complying with Miranda in order to find out where the gun was. So the public safety exception is a parallel exception, I think, what Justice Gorsuch was alluding to, might also serve as the basis for a finding here. 
Do you have any idea as to how the court will rule? Well, based upon the arguments, which is to say the questions asked by the justices, it's clear to me that they are going to uphold the action by the police. They'll basically agree with the Department of Justice, which filed an amicus saying that the police can enter a home without a warrant when their actions are objectively grounded in a non-investigatory public interest, such as health or safety. In other words, when it's not a criminal investigation, when they are legitimately concerned about well-being, they are allowed to enter the home. The objectors to that point of view, of course, are very concerned that when you give the police that broad discretion, they are going to exercise it too widely and abuse their powers. And when they abuse their powers in this context, particularly involving the home, you're looking at what could be some grave violations of the Fourth Amendment. Thanks, George. That's George Newhouse of Richards Carrington. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. It was union rights versus property rights at the Supreme Court in a case involving a landmark California law. Union organizers have broad access to meet with farm workers on the grower's property under state regulation. But two fruit growers say that violates the constitutional provision that requires just compensation when the government takes private property for public purposes. During the oral argument, some of the court's conservatives expressed skepticism about the regulations. Here's Justice Amy Coney Barrett. What is the big deal here? If the severity goes to compensation, as the petitioners claim, why would it be that big of a deal for California to say to the unions, listen, to compensate for the taking, if you want access, you pay 50 bucks? But Justice Sonia Sotomayor was one of the justices who expressed concern that the grower's position would imperil all kinds of government inspection laws. Then you are putting at risk all of the government regimes that permit for a nuclear power plants. There are inspections almost on a daily basis. Joining me is Bethany Berger, a professor at the University of Connecticut Law School. Tell us a little about the union access law. So the law allows union organizers to go onto agricultural sites in order to provide information and organize farm workers. They have to give written notice to the growers first, and they can only enter for a maximum of 120 days a year for one hour in the morning, the lunch hour, or one hour after work ends. But in practice, they enter much less. So this law was enacted in the 1970s as part of the organizing campaigns of Cesar Chavez and Dolores Huerta that recognized that farm workers, particularly migrant farm workers, were incredibly isolated. They often lived on the farm and were really needing both more rights and information about their rights. 
the question here is whether that access violates the takings clause. Explain the legal issue here. So the takings clause of the Constitution requires compensation whenever the government takes an owner's property. So if the government said, your house is mine now or it belongs to somebody else, that's clearly a taking. But there are lots of other actions when the government restricts the use of your property or prevents somebody from excluding somebody else from the property that may or may not be taken. So in a case like this, where the government authorizes a physical invasion of property, it's more likely to be a taking. In fact, the court has held that when there's a permanent physical occupation of property, even if it's of a very small amount of the property and it doesn't cause economic damage, that is a taking. So the growers are arguing that the takings clause automatically kicks in whenever the government gives someone else the right to use private property. How did the justices react to that argument? The justices weren't crazy about that. They recognized that the growers' claim both would be contrary to their existing case law and would also threaten lots of laws that have always been recognized and protected under American law. The right to enter a meatpacking plant to inspect for safety, the right to enter a mine, all of these things would be takings under the growers' theory. It seemed as if the California AG, who was arguing for the regulation, got a lot of pushback from the justices from both sides of the ideological spectrum. What problems were they having with his position? They were concerned that if they rejected the growers' theory, then property owners would be vulnerable to all kinds of invasions. So Justice Barrett, for example, asked, does this mean that the government could say that people could come protest on my lawn just because that was the best place to reach the public? And the easy answer to that is no. With wholly private property like that, the government doesn't get to authorize invasions except in real emergency circumstances. Justice Barrett also said that both sides had line drawing problems, and that seemed to bother both the liberal and conservative justices. What was she talking about? So California agrees, as they would have to, that if the government said that 365 days a year, the union organizers or anyone else can come onto private property, that would automatically be a taking. And so the line drawing problem is why then is 360 days a year not automatically a taking? And then what about 200 days a year? What were the concerns of the liberal justices? What was the concern of the liberal justices? Yeah, I think that the liberal justices were not unified on this. I think that Justices Breyer and Kagan had significant concerns about the implications of the growers theory, but also were looking for California to tell them some way to draw lines to say what is an acceptable physical invasion and what isn't. Justice Sotomayor seemed particularly concerned about authorization of entries to property. And I think that California did not do a great job in explaining why this particular authorization is necessary. 
because the workers on this property often don't speak or read either English or Spanish, they are still very often isolated in their living conditions. And in addition, the non-per se test, the Penn Central test, takes into account physical invasions and is much more likely to find something is a taking if it is a physical invasion of property. What it doesn't do is take all kinds of physical invasions, regardless of whether they're truly private property, regardless of whether they are to achieve health and safety or free speech interests and say that those are taken. Let's say the Supreme Court rules in favor of the growers. Would that implicate health and safety inspections, home visits by social workers, and the like? They would. The growers' attorneys tried to say that those would not be implicated, but as I think several of the justices recognized, it wasn't clear why they wouldn't. They were trying to draw complicated rules around the rule that they're asking for in the name of simplicity and would in fact make both takings law and basic governmental regulation much more complicated. So were the justices looking for a middle ground and what would that middle ground look like? I do think that the justices were looking for a way to both rule against the growers but also to draw some lines about kinds of physical invasions that are more likely to lead to taking. Another possible middle ground is that they rule against California, but only because of their beliefs about this specific regulation and its importance. As California argued, however, Those kinds of considerations, like how important is the governmental action, should not be decided under a per se test. They're classic ad hoc takings analysis. And the growers below didn't actually present any evidence about the need for the regulations. So if they wanted to have the case decide under that test, the court should remand the case with instructions for what kinds of evidence they would be looking for. The Roberts Court dealt a major blow to unions in 2018. Does that indicate anything for the unions here? I think that the attorneys for the growers are hoping that it will. I think that the justices are smarter than that that they are recognizing that this case is about the constitutional scope of property and not any disfavor they might have for union organizing in general. What has the precedent been on property rights? Have they tended to expand property rights, though? No, actually. Um, So, But the court hasn't decided a property rights case with these three new justices. The last major takings case they decided was Murphy, Wisconsin, and Justice Kennedy wrote the opinion and it favored the government in holding that the regulation there wasn't a taking. Four justices dissented from that case, though, with Justice Roberts writing the dissent. So it's clear that there are a number of justices on the court that 
would want to expand the takings doctrine, but I'm not sure that this case is the vehicle for doing that. Did it seem as if a majority of the justices were on the grower's side? It did not seem that way to me. I think that Justices Roberts and Thomas and Barrett seemed very concerned that the growers were asking for something that undermined traditional state law authorizations of rights to enter. So they were asking lots of hard questions from the growers' side as well. Even justices like Kavanaugh and Gorsuch, who seemed eager to rule for the growers, were trying to find a narrow way to do that rather than adopt the growers' legal arguments. So where do you think the court will come out? My inkling is that the growers will lose, but the court will make clear both on remand some stricter guidelines for the Ninth Circuit to consider and will set forth its general concerns about line drawing and taking in ways that may help property owners in the future. Thanks, Bethany. That's Bethany Berger of the University of Connecticut Law School. And that's it for this edition of the Bloomberg Law Show. Remember, you can always get the latest legal news on our Bloomberg Law Podcast. You can find them on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and at www.bloomberg.com slash podcast slash law. I'm June Grosso. Thanks so much for listening. And please tune into the Bloomberg Law Show every weeknight at 10 p.m. Eastern, right here on Bloomberg Radio. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.